Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, where we discuss practical science and not so common sense to live a life more extraordinary. On this episode, we discuss sleep and how to shift that mindset from sleep being a time-wasting nuisance to your force multiplier. We share practical and powerful ways to improve sleep so you can unlock clarity of mind, increased energy, improved mental health, reduced food cravings, and a healthier sex life. So let's get started. Here are your co-hosts who are also partners in life and business, Luke and Rachel. Okay, so welcome to the third episode of the Tailored Life podcast. Welcome back. Thank you. Back to the home. Fancy seeing you here. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, what we've covered so far, and and the first two episodes are a bit unique in this sort of episode is because we set the framework of who we are and the tapestry that we've kind of knitted together over the course of our lives. And then equally how our why has been um, honed and polished to this day. And often throughout the conversations that we've had, we talked about sleep or how sleep was a part of the equation or the ingredients when it comes to the recipe to either overcoming the odds or becoming unstoppable. And sleep is often the thing that comes up in conversations in so- our social circles, whether it be our family or friends. And so I don't know if we're going to be able to do it justice in one episode, but I think we're going to try get some background info that is helpful as well as practical tools, tricks, advice to do better at it. Yeah, I think the key thing here is we're not going to dive deep into the science right now. Like we can do that in later episodes if you know people want us to dive into that, but I think it's really about keeping it simple and actionable mm, um, so yeah. people can just apply it straight away and hopefully, and for the most part, low cost. Yes. no cost absolutely so when you reflect upon your understanding of sleep growing up what was it to you nothing i was unconscious um yeah like i i, I never prioritized sleep as a kid it wasn't even anything i thought was really important you know like i just it was just something i had to do mm. um so just check in check out and whatever happens in between there yeah. You know, like it is, yeah. it is what it is. So yeah, sleep was never a priority. It was just, yeah, a nuisance, if anything. Yeah. yeah, I'm glad you said nuisance because the interesting paradigm I have around sleep is that it's sort of this vestigial or byproduct of thousands of years, millennia of evolution, that there's not much you can do when it's completely pitch black, <laughs> you know, back in cave men and women days. And so to me, I always thought of sleep, oh, yes, it's something we've got to do. And as a society, it seems like that's normal. Everyone goes to sleep when it's dark. But I didn't think of it any anything else other than this inconvenient way to waste time and be far less efficient than if I could just actually do more all-nighters or do what you see on you know social where it's like 5 a.m. club or you know stay up late and do this work and hustle and and you know despite what you're doing or not doing when it comes to sleep and restorative time and so I think society has kind of reinforced this idea that sleep is just a nuisance Mm. and it's really an inefficient way to spend your time if you want to become kind of this elite hustler or to do well or to to find find time to learn or do other things that you love to do which is so erosive to Mm. people's health. Oh 100% yeah I think efficiency is the key word there 
and you know I sacrificed my sleep for efficiency for the longest time um, because I thought that's what I was supposed to do to be efficient but really it's the force multiplier um, if you sleep well whatever you've done the day before like your memory like your recollection your um, motions your energy levels everything is 10x mm. um, so <clears throat> when it comes to being healthy sleep is priority yeah. actually not just healthy but performing at a high level too mm. and so that sort of leads us into the various conversations that we have not only uh, in clinic with others uh, but also with our kids because kids sort of they honestly trying to get information into their heads and get them to remember important stuff is just like you know shotgun let's hope something sticks <laughs> Uh, and I, you know, I recorded an interview on the way to school today that our VIPs will have exclusive access to. If you sign up, we, you know, we do all the, this behind-the-scenes content. And so this interview with, with with our kids in the car, like the number of times we've had conversations about why sleep routines and sleep hygiene is important to us as a family. I, <laughs> I just, I was like, oh my god, it has not has nothing landed. And so I, I guess that also brings us back to the clinic where oftentimes sleep is the foundational aspect to any work we do, no matter we're doing you know, high-level executive programs um, all the way to just basic uh, you know, coaching that we do, that sleep is the undercurrent and underpins everything. And that's also one of your, like as a, as a four-pillar health philosophy of mindset, lifestyle, nutrition, and movement, would you say sleep comes under lifestyle or yes. is it also a mindset thing? It's a combination of both because we know if we're not sleeping well, we're not emotionally stable either. Mm, but yeah. we'll kind of probably double tap into that as we go a little bit further yeah. along to why that is. Yeah, I want to share one conversation I had with a client's partner a couple of weeks ago, which it was. I shouldn't have felt so satisfied with this answer, but I, I really was. So for the specific client, mm. she has uh, an apo gene which indicates she has issues with lipid movement or fat movement in her brain which means that she might be more susceptible or genetically predisposed to things like Alzheimer's. We'll get to that at another episode I know because it's an important gene to talk about uh, and and so I said to her for, for her sleep is so paramount to help her brain clear all the garbage which we'll talk about more later uh, and so protecting her sleep lights out by 10 and then ensuring she protects a full night's sleep was critical. Of course, the partner was there and we haven't done his genetics yet. So we have no clue where that might impact him in the lipid metabolism and, and, and garbage collection of his brain. But he said, you know, I've been okay having five, six hours of sleep a night and I, I'm perfectly fine. And um, I said, oh, well, how long have you been sort of having that, that, that approach to your life? Oh, probably as a teenager, I started to sleep five, six hours a night. And I said, D do you suffer from any mental health or, or mood issues or um, just anxiety, depression? Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I do, actually. Oh, when did that start? Huh, probably in my teenage years. <laughs> and I was like, silent. I let that <laughs> drop. And he's like, oh, yeah. okay. So it's, it's funny, even just such a simple conversation within 45 seconds, it's like, okay, maybe there's some correlation here. Uh, but, but I mean, I want to hear more about this within your client set, because you've seen way more than I have over the last sort of 15 years. How has the conversation around sleep gone usually? There's always resistance. 
Uh, I think because people ingrain themselves into such deep uh, habitual patterns of whether that be TV uh, to the early hours of the morning, whether that be just scrolling or um, doing work, they're just continually just in these patterns over and over again. And to break those patterns is hard for anything, right? Um, and you've got to really want to do it. And the only way to really show them results is for them to actually make the change to see the benefits of it. Um, mm. But that's always a, it's always a uh, coaching moment of really just guiding them down that path. And like anything, just picking one thing and starting with that and building upon that. Uh, but you really need to get the buy-in. And because much like that client, they don't think anything's wrong because they've never been optimal. Mm. They're so used to being in a suboptimal state, they think that's <coughs> optimal. It's like, like, I'm good. But do you really know what good is? Yeah. I mean, the, the, there's a sentence you you spoke in our first episode, which literally gave me chills. And if our equipment didn't fail right at that, like, magical statement, we would have been able to capture that and have it as an outtake. Um, but one thing that you talked about is once you started to play with the levers under the mindset lifestyle kind of categories or those pillars, which included sleep, you did not realize until then, unless you, until you gave it a go, how in retrospect you were living a suboptimal life. Yeah, so up until that point, I thought I was fine, you know, like I was functioning, you know, I was, you know, studying, doing my degree. Um, I was playing sport, playing rugby at the time and a whole bunch of other sports. You know, I was performing at a pretty good level, but it wasn't until, yeah, I addressed that mindset, that lifestyle, that nutrition, um, and obviously the movement in the background, but primarily those first three pillars. And yeah, sleep was a massive component to that. That this just brain fog lifted. And for the first time, I just had clarity of mind and I could just perform. Mm. Honestly, I just remember sitting down at my laptop and uh, writing, just like blogs just flowing out of me. Um, I've never been in such clarity of mind at that point and the energy that I had it was just I was charged mm. and I was ready to go and I was like why have I not been doing this sooner um, and it, it's again it's not until you get to this point of the state where you're like ah oh, okay I wasn't good now I'm better but again I, I've got so much better since then again mm. you know it's just these stepping stones and you don't know until you achieve it to what you were struggling and suffering with so you know that's part of this podcast is really teaching people to you know, try things out, test things out. And if we can get an improvement, let's just stack upon that. And who knows, you may be living a much better quality of life. Mm. Just, well, just simple that, things. Just that one thing. Yeah. Okay, I remember your your flatmate uh, is a mutual friend of ours um, and, and a wonderful, wonderful human being. But I remember you saying that he would get all inspired and motivated to to become healthy, make you know amazing changes to his nutrition, and start exercising all in one, which is so typical. Like we see a movie or we get on the scales and we're right, they're like right, something needs to change. And I remember you recalling a, a time when he came downstairs and he and he's all amped up, and you said you said that the, the title of that book that we saw at the, the, the stationery store the other day, what was that? One thing, just pick one thing. Um, and that wasn't just the one time. This was multiple times. There was a series of times where he would bite off too much that he could chew. So he'd be, yeah, super motivated. But the thing is motivation, motivation dwindles. 
you know, you might get two, three, maybe four weeks of solid motivation where you're just charged and ready to go and you're doing these 10 things that you want to do all at once, which is great. But it's not great when that motivation dwindles because you're just not going to keep it up. Yeah, and you go back to your default mode. You go back to default. And so what I always challenge clients to do is to pick one thing and do that one thing for a period of time and create a habitual pattern around that one thing. So you stack that on a pre-existing habit. So whether that is I brush my teeth, then I go and do two minutes meditation. And I, I say two minutes specifically, like I'm talking one to two minutes. If you're going to start a meditation habit, you don't start with 10 or 20 or 30 or an hour. You start with two minutes max. Um, and you've got to build that habitual pattern of showing up day in, day out. So yeah, that's what I told him to do, is to pick one thing that he could do and to stack it on an existing habit. And, you know, we were talking probably five years ago now, and it's, it's, a, it's a joke that we have every time. He's like, if I just pick that one thing, you know, I would have 20, 30 things by now all stacked on top of this mm. one thing, but he still hasn't done What's the failure? <laughs> it's the frustration of failure where it's like I still can't make that permanent change. Yeah. And the thing that often makes me feel a little bit, well, it makes you feel frustrated is when we're working with clients, there's there's always a question we have at the end of the, the notes is if there's one thing we can hold them accountable to that's a non-negotiable, it's sleep. So to, to protect that time. And I'm going to be very, very honest here. When you first met me, sleep was not a priority either. Definitely all extrinsic things would happen um, you know I'd have a bad night or I'd have a, a report due or or had a really important meeting and I wouldn't sleep and I'd get up I wouldn't sleep and I'd get up at one o'clock in the morning and I'd just work, literally work through mm. and I wouldn't sleep at all and I'd you know I'd felt super productive but at what cost mm. and I, I think from an emotional uh, regulation perspective you definitely saw the impact on on my life um, which I do want to get to eventually, but but we've all been there. You've been there too. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm no, I'm cannot sit on my high horse here. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like I said, sleep was not a priority as a kid, and that really followed through into my uni years, right? Like when I was doing my bachelor's, and like there was a lot of partying. I think I mentioned that in the kind of first episode. Um, a lot of drinking and a lot of late nights. Like then we got like as a group, we would do go go to. Um, the library pretty much do all-nighters because mm. it was a 24-7 kind of um, facility. So we, <laughs> like, I would just crank the caffeine. Like, I'm talking two big Red Bulls, and it got up to a point of taking, like, 10 no-dos, so straight caffeine tablets. Um, so, like, I was just cranking on caffeine and listening um, to, you know, drum and bass, just trying to get into it, but I was just shaking. And <clears throat> oh, if I think back to... That, that state or that I got myself to, it was a horrific state. Um, and I can guarantee the quality work was nowhere near what it should have been because I was working through, you know, the early hours of the morning right through. And then I remember showing up like 8 a.m. when the assignment had to be handed in. I hadn't slept. I'd worked all through the night right to that point and then handed it in, then crashed. But it's like, at what cost? Again, yeah, you know. Particularly long term, if that's not yeah. unusual for you to do too. Yeah. And so when you started to prioritize sleep, what were some of the things that you found profoundly changed with your health? Like what was the outcome of actually getting 
lights out by 9.30-10, sleeping or staying in bed until at least sort of 6.37 or as long as you sort of needed to sleep in. What, what, what amounted to that? Like what, what resulted from that? What did you notice? Yeah, so balance, first of all. So balance? So, yeah, I felt more balanced as a oh, okay. human being. okay, I was so. like, literally, like, standing yeah. on one foot, I uh, can be totally... <laughs> so, emotionally, kind of just, like, a lot more stable and balanced. Like, I've always been quite stable in my emotions, but, you know, I just felt just a lot mentally there, right? Um, but the thing that I think was the best is the productivity. You know, we're told we need to work these long days, but when I actually started to get really focused on my work hours and just focus on that like I, I would twice as much work as i would do in a longer period probably more efficient work in the fact that it was the things the big rocks yeah it was, 100%, it was way more efficient is that's kind of what i was getting at is yeah it wasn't so, the shallow work that i'd be kind of doing keeping myself busy because my brain's fried and it's not really working and i'm just mm. like sitting at the computer but not very functional when i sit down at the computer now to do the work or you know with a client like i'm just i'm on Mm. and I had the ability to switch on and off a lot easier um, where yeah prior to that it was just a big fog and you know you spend your time fumbling doing through busy work yeah busy work yeah or shallow yeah. work is what I like to call it you know um, instead of doing the deep um, solid work mm. what I noticed is prob like you far greater emotional mm. balance so I had been as I mentioned in my last uh, the last episode, there was a whole bunch of emotional turmoil um, that had happened sort of leading up to meeting you. But even throughout my relationship in the last sort of 10 years, I've been in and out of depression and anxiety. Um, anxiety probably just as a, as a general visitor, you know, as, as, as the days, months went on, but depression at times, because I was largely unhappy with my life, I was making a lot of decisions that eroded my own self-care and boundaries, which we'll talk about in the future episode, and we alluded on, alluded to in the last episode. But one thing I noticed when I started to prioritize sleep is I started to feel a lot more emotionally stable. And, um, you know, the, the only type time I get maybe a little bit of a, a, an emotional health little trigger for me is certain times before my period, um, which is largely due to stress that was 90 days ago. So we're actually going to go into more of the 90-day echo of PMS symptoms and PMDD at a different um, time and place. But largely the sleep prioritization definitely made huge inroads to emotional um, regularity and then also clarity of mind so I, now when I don't get sleep you're right I focus on all the shallow stuff because I just can't deal with the big stuff and when you're looking at strategy and you're only doing all the shallow stuff you might feel productive in the fact that you're getting some things done and things are getting ticked off your list but it's the big stuff that matters the most to achieving those big goals that would just completely be delayed. It's the Pareto principle, right? It's the 20% that's going to equal the 80% of results. So if you can focus on that key 20%, mm. so much better than doing all that shallow work. Yeah. Um, There's one client in particular who's an absolute weapon. He's is in the space of um, like investment. Uh, and oh, what, what's been so beautiful about him and the reason why I love working with him is he most often does what he says he'll do um, and he'll always go back to sleep because what he's found and he's so grateful for us to be like honing and being on it at him about sleep hygiene that he's like Rach it's night and day I feel so much better when I get 
proper sleep. Uh, and everything changes in my relationships, in mm. my, my work, uh, my ability to, to not only get things done, but to feel really satisfied with my life uh, and to navigate the, the, the emotional turmoil that comes with having a young, a small child and a, a largely under underslept, sleep-deprived partner, which you can only do so much to kind of help encourage others to do that. But as long as you're focusing at least on doing it yourself, you can support others around you too, despite you know yeah. them not actually wanting to prioritize it themselves. And, and leading by example, right? Like if you lead by example, they will generally follow along after all they see your results. Mm, yeah. um, it might, it will, nine times out of 10, it's not straight away. Yeah. Um, just because you're focusing on it, they're not gonna focus on it. They need to see the results. And best thing is you're generally somebody that they know the most. Mm. So they will follow along if they see <coughs> Profound change, which they will, yeah. or something like sleep. Yeah. But the other thing that I also want to mention that was game changer for me, and when I did my transition was when I was in my Ironman days, right? Um, when I first started doing triathlon, kind of Ironman side of things, I was that classic athlete, you know, like, you know, 5 a.m. swim squad, you know, that's kind of what you do. You get up at 5 a.m., you go to swim. Um, but it wasn't until I started, you know, tracking my sleep and really identifying these things that. I realized I wasn't getting my restorative sleep, my REM sleep. We'll go into that a little bit later. But again, what I noticed was by taking that training times to a more restricted period, which is harder to fit it all in, especially when you're doing a sport like Ironman. But I really focus again on that Pareto principle, that efficiency, that 20% that equals the 80% of results. Um, so really focused on how I could just be smart about what I did. Mm. And when I did that, like, yes, I, I wasn't able to join the swim squad. Um, I had to do my swimming elsewhere, which was harder because um, it's always nice to be able to do it in a group. But uh, my recovery was so much quicker. My performance was so much better. Um, I felt more mentally sharp. So I could work and train. Uh, it wasn't at the cost of everything. Mm. And I think you mentioned something right there. And it wasn't until you started to measure it. So I think that's been the key to reconnecting. We, we call it reconnecting the three brains at Tailored, tailored Health, but uh, it wasn't until you, we started to implement um, wearables that would look at sleep, that gave people a replug back into their bodies that helped them understand not only how they were currently sleeping, but also how different decisions impacted both their sleep generally, but also the sleep stages, which many of these wearables will do it by inference. So it's not a direct sleep stage um, computation, but it's near enough to be able to give you insight. And so when you came across the Aura sleep ring um, and you started to wear it and you started getting information, how did that change your conversations, not only in your own narrative, but also to your clients? Yeah, so prior to the Aura, I was using kind of the app trackers, like, you know, the classic phone things which you put in your bed, which I really resisted and didn't like because, you know, having a phone close to my head um, while sleeping. Um, but yeah, it wasn't until, like, they, they, were, they were helpful, but it wasn't until I really um, got the Aura that things really changed. And I've been with the Aura for quite a long time now. So what is it? So, yeah, uh, this is the Aura here. So it is a sleep ring. So very sleek, and what I love about it is the minimalistic design of it. It looks like a normal ring, get away with it. Uh, and it's not as bulky as say something like a Whoop or a watch. Um, it is very invasive, which is um, what I love about it. And it's a super powerful device for such a small device. So it 
uh, measures across three metrics, so sleep, activity, and readiness. Um, obviously, sleep and activity are pretty obvious what they're measuring. Uh, readiness is kind of a com combo of everything, really, trying to identify how ready you are to take on the day. Um, but in the sleep tracking, as you mentioned, it's an indirect measure. So it is not directly measuring your brain waves. So it can't measure your sleep cycles accurately um, to you know, be a direct measure. Um, because we to, to truly understand our sleep cycles, we need to understand the brain waves. So what it does is it does it indirect measures by looking at other metrics. Um, but in saying that, we have compared this to the Dream 3, which is an EEG device which we wear on our head, which tracks brain waves, and we found it to be pretty consistent and pretty accurate. Um, and we're not the only ones to do this as well. There's been research studies, and so for an indirect measure, and something that is so invasive, because I've got to be honest, wearing the EEG is horrible. Mm. Um, wearing a headband is not comfortable, and I guarantee we won't get many clients to do that um, just because we're geeks and we like to test out all the best technology to identify what is the best um, we wear it. But yeah, so Aura has always been my kind of go-to. Yeah, because um, originally it started out as just a sleep ring. So it would yeah. only track metrics while you sleep. But the new Gen 3 is more of a wellness, overall wellness and sleep yeah, device like, now. Gen 2 is doing it too, right? But it's just, again, it's getting better and better as it goes. Um, and yeah, it's just becoming more and more powerful as it gives us further insights into other areas. And you converted me to this pretty early on. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I think you might have just said, hey, look, if you want to understand your sleep and also how it relates to performance, I think you had me at performance. Well, <laughs> I think the key thing is you, I quickly identified you're an A-type personality, much like me. And as an A-type personality, you know, you're driven, you want results. And you don't want to really make change unless it's quantified. Mm. Um, because seeing data is just so powerful for just really creating that behavioral change because there's no missing about it. Like, this is the data. Yeah. What I love most about is the HRV, so the heart rate variability. We call it the, the lie detector of the body at Tailored. And so I think that's been a really beautiful way to give our A-type personalities, whether it be in the executive programs or non-A, and they, they come through our normal um, classic programs, to give them a mechanism or a measure of how stressed their body is. So again, they can re-plug their body back into their brain and say, actually, my heart rate variability has tanked, which indicates that your, your body's trying to become a metronome. It's like, okay, I need to control all of my basic fundamental systems because the stress is too high. And so when they see that HRV drop, they know, okay, in conjunction potentially with my heart rate, also increasing, I need to take it easy, which is how it kind of brings that readiness score into it, which is a very quick measure to see how much you push it today. Yeah, and just kind of recap what that is. So HRV is heart rate variability. So that is the time between beats. And then obviously your resting heart rate is kind of when your heart rate's at its lowest, the beats per minute. Um, so just to kind of make sure that you kind of understand what these metrics are doing. Um, so it's really, yeah, looking at your autonomic nervous system, it is that lie detector and for me, when I was doing Ironman, like that was critical. Like you need to know how ready you are to take on the day because if your stress levels are too high, and by stress, I mean stress encompasses everything. So it's mental and emotional stresses, it is lifestyle stresses, it is nutritional stresses, it is environmental stresses. Everything is a stress, right? So mm. we need, in Ironman, you have to really regulate all those. So I needed to make sure, did I sleep well? Um, did I over-exercise? Did I... Is my body not responding yet? Um, especially with Edelostanos, I'm slower at recovering to most. I had to 
really hone this and really understand when my body's ready to push and when it's not ready to push and listening to that and mm. really plugging that into my training. And what's been powerful to add on to that is genetic factors. So one thing to add to the various stresses is specifically how the lifestyle and environmental factors actually exacerbate how your body, the, the book that, that your body reads from to create its blueprints or to, to create its, its functioning, how that's been impacted by those external stresses and then how that impacts how the genetic genes are being read the proteins that are then being translated to function your body and then overall your symptomology yeah because we know if my inflammation pathways they're just shot <laughs> yeah and so squeaky so those enzymes so what that means is genetically you have some um, variation to specific genes that are related to the inflammation management pathways that are inherently squeaky so Fundamentally, without some environmental lifestyle factors to intervene, um, you know, that's going to be a slight disadvantage for you. But overcoming it and knowing what your genetic predispositions are are really powerful to be able to actually do the right types of things to reduce those stresses. And sleep is one of the most critical ways of doing that. Yeah. So what blew my mind is that 15% of your DNA is actually controlled by your circadian rhythm. And so that's that specific times of day and specific activities that you're doing in those times of day will actually tell your genes to turn off or turn on, which blows my mind because, you, again, you just think, oh, sleep's just this ineffectual, inefficient thing that you're just, you're unconscious, you have no clue. But the amount of genetic and biochemical activity happening during that time is actually remarkable. Yeah, it's an absolute orchestra, right? Like... We, we think we're just, like you said, we're unconscious. But really, when we look at REM sleep in specifically, which is rapid eye movement sleep, so the later um, uh, hours of the morning, so you kind of end of your sleep, um, we're 30, our brain is 30% more active than it is awake. Oh, that's crazy. Like, you know, that, that's just unbelievable, you know? But yet, mm. you're completely incapacitated because your body cannot move. It's, it's in paralysis. Um, so you don't act out your dreams. So you don't, you don't go punching your partner yeah. in the bed or falling out. Don't go trying to fly. and <laughs> <laughs> Because, yeah, that is when you are in your dream sleep. Yeah. Um, so, you're, yeah, and if you start to try to live those out, that could be pretty dangerous. Yeah, and then what blows my mind equally is how you live during the day or the choices you make around sleep or no sleep impacts how much energy your brain actually has to do its functions. Mm -hmm. So I think they were saying that if you have any kind of sleep deprivation, so less than six hours sleep, that your, the, the glucose in your brain decreases. So it literally has less fuel to do its job when you start to actually have sleep deprivation. Yep. And that's just one night. So what that means um, is you just crave more sugar. So your body is craving sugar to give you the energy that it requires to function. So that's why you go for those biscuits or you go for that chocolate or that cake or a Snickers bar or whatever that may be for you. Like that is why people crave sugar after a bad night's sleep. And also why if you do an all-nighter, which I definitely recall this when I was doing my all-nighters, the craving for sugar and junk is just horrific mm. in the early hours of the morning. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy too. Oh, absolutely. Because as soon as you start getting all of that, that mm. sugar in the system, the dopamine hits of like, oh, this is, this is making me feel good. Mm. I want more. Um, and then that has a, an impact on your, your cortisol levels, which is 
people call it like the stress hormone, but the reality is it's actually the, the awake and alert hormone, um, which has its natural cycle throughout the night and the day too. And so you start to mess with this whole kind of interrelated chemical broth that is your body yeah. if you don't get the right sleep and the patterning and the hygiene that we, we need to have as a part of our normal biological cycle. Yeah, so like, for example, as melatonin should be opposite to cortisol, but and they should Going this little orchestra going up and down, right? Yeah, that's the uh, same as serotonin fundamentally yeah. too. Yeah. Well, serotonin is a precursor to melatonin, right? So um, if there's this, obviously this unique orchestra that's going on, and that's just one binary part of it really, but it's something we see continually dysregulated. So that system is just not working because people are just driving themselves into the ground through stresses. <clears throat> like I said, whether there's mental and emotional, lifestyle, nutritional, um, or environmental stresses, they all respond in that same way, and that is that dysfunction or that dysregulation of that system. Uh, so therefore, your cortisol starts peaking when it shouldn't be. So, mm. for example, those that wake up uh, in the early hours of the morning, so maybe 3 a.m., they're waking up and they're just tired and wired. What that means, oftentimes, it can be a number of uh, reasons to why that's occurring, but if you're waking up tired and wired and you can't get straight back to sleep, like it's not like I need to go to the bathroom, get back to bed and go straight to sleep. That Because that, that's, most part is fine. Um, but if you st you jump back in bed and you're just like, nah, and you just feel like you should get up, that's a sign that your cortisol is peaking right now. And that is not good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, not necessarily peaking, but it's elevated. It's elevated where it shouldn't be. Because that's what should wake you up in the morning. Um, so you're you've pulled it earlier in the morning, which is not healthy. So we need to make sure we get that regulation back into play. And that's where really starting with the morning routine is so critical for a healthy night's sleep. Where do we go when people find themselves in this place where not only do they have these habits, routines that they're watching or, or looking at the news before bed or on their phone scrolling right before bed or um, wake up in the middle of the night at three o'clock and can't get back to sleep or are in the 5am club and they just find that they can't sleep in any longer than that or generally you know, have the sleep hygiene that isn't as good as it could be. What do we do to help get people reset and refocused on the right type of hygiene practices. You said starts in the morning. Morning. But we also pick one thing. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> yes, pick so one thing. One thing. Uh, so, and the one thing that everyone should start with is sleep consistency. To have the most profound impact on your sleep, sleep consistency is the number one. So, wake up at the same time, go to sleep at the same time. And even on the weekends, no more than an hour difference. So, yeah, so if, like if you wake up at 7 a.m., wake up at 7 a.m. Don't sleep in past 8 a.m. on the weekends because that's going to dysregulate that cycle. Try to be as close to 7 a.m. as possible. And when you go to bed, same time. So maybe it's 9 or 10 uh, p.m., same time. Mm. So that doesn't mean going out partying. You know, that's going to dysregulate you. So it's just trying to keep as consistent as possible. And for the same fact, it's also been shown um, in studies if you sleep deprive yourself. So say you go out on a Saturday night and then you're out all night, you're absolutely exhausted. It's actually healthier to go to sleep at the normal time that you go to sleep. So say you normally go to sleep at say 10 p.m. and you go out the night before, you don't get home till like 3 a.m. and then you're absolutely exhausted that Sunday night. You want to go to bed at that 10 p.m. time. 
So stay awake all the day until the tea. You can you can nap during the day, right? Like yeah. napping's fine, but you don't want to nap beyond three pm because that's going to dysregulate that schedule rhythm mm. again. Um, so you want to make sure you can fall asleep at that ten pm, um, but you want to keep that consistent. So you actually, it's healthier to wait to that period of time. Mm, which I know which is, at times you have to call me out on. Oh yeah. Because there, there are opportunities um, to go socialize and have fun or perhaps I've had just an exceptionally difficult night and then I just, I'm craving to go to bed early, which <laughs> I resist your urge to say, no, go to bed at the same time because um, there's such conflicting information around that. But you're right, I have seen more and more research that indicates that your body is uh, it's a clock, right? It, it's a it's a creature of habit, and the the hormonal release is pretty much set to the times that it's habitually um, used to going to bed. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So that's the first thing. Focus on the one thing. So mm. if we've got listeners that are like, okay, how do I start to improve my sleep? How do I start to improve um, my overall attitude towards all this? Mm. So you would say the first thing to do and to try for how long? would be go to bed at the same time, wake up at the same time. And so how long should they try that for? Make sure that it's easy enough to do, right? Like that it's consistent, you know, a couple of weeks and then you can start layering upon another thing if you're finding that easy. If it's a challenge and it, you just got to keep going till you kind of, it settles in a little bit more consistent uh, because the key thing is we don't want to be changing too many things at once because motivation will dwindle um, and it gets challenging. Just yeah. making a habit is the key thing. Yeah. Um, so if you were to say, all right, a couple of weeks in, you've already kind of established a pretty consistent go to bed time, lights out time, and then wake up time. What would be next? Yeah, or perhaps you already have a consistent uh, wake um, cycle. So as soon as you wake up, getting natural light exposure. So if it's a blue sky day and there's, there's heaps of sun, uh, five to 10 minutes is going to be plenty. Um, if it's a overcast day, you're probably looking around 20 to 30 minutes. Um, but getting out, natural sun exposure, no sunglasses, uh, no windows. Uh, so don't think looking outside your windscreen when you're driving to work is enough. It's not. Um, you need to be outside in natural sunlight and getting as much of your body exposed as possible, but especially the eyes. Because mm. that goes straight to the pineal gland and other tissues of the body. But that essentially tells your body it's time to be awake. Yep. It's the reset of the clock. And essentially from that time when you're getting that exposure, your all your sort of the, the orchestra, the symphony that's playing will start to kind of play out for the ensuing kind of next 24-hour period. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I always struggle with, with that, is the desire to have my sunglasses on. Mm. So, you know, you think, oh, gosh, I've got to protect my eyes. Um, but what I, what I always admire about you is how disciplined you are that when you are outside whether we're traveling whether we're not is the sunglasses are off mm. because if you've got the the uva uvb protection of the lenses or even if you don't if it's darker then your pineal gland isn't getting the type of light it needs to reset that circadian rhythm which I, you know i don't know how how long should you take have the sunglasses off is it just based on what you said so yeah. five Depends on the weather ten minutes okay got it yeah and then if you do two glasses, if you do have uh, prescription glasses or contact lenses, they should be fine. Okay. So you can still have those on and get the natural sunlight. Yeah. It won't impact it. Because it's also um, sunlight on your skin yep. too, isn't it? So that'll also help. There are conversions of, of your biochemistry in the skin that can help contribute to the resetting of the, the circadian rhythm as well. Let's assume that you've done those two things. So you've got a consistent sleep and wake cycle. You're getting some exposure in the morning to natural sunlight. 
uh, what would be the next thing that someone could do? Yeah, so like obviously there's a lot more things we can do in the morning to kind of help establish that morning routine and that circadian rhythm. Um, but at this point, I'll generally kind of come to the evening to kind of get the evening routine sorted. And then uh, as we get that sorted, we can start to go back to that morning. So this is where the principle that we kind of lean on at Tailored is the three, two, one sleep principle. So three hours before bed is you have your last meal. Two hours before bed, you stop working. So for you workaholics out there, um, your bedroom should be your sleep sanctuary. There should be no office work done in there or no scrolling or anything like that. Um, and then it kind of leads to our one hour before bed, no technology. And I think this is the hardest one for most people, um, unless you're a workaholic, the work one's pretty challenging. Um, so yeah, no technology, uh, that includes phones, TVs. So finding a practice in which you can do to help down-regulate our system because those technologies are going to spike our dopamine. They also emit uh, blue light frequencies, which are the same frequency as the sunlight. So therefore it fools our body into thinking it's awake. So we need to allow our body to down-regulate. Sleep is not a switch. <laughs> we need yeah. to slowly down-regulate. And that's what the three, two, one sleep principle allows is that uh, guiding towards a down-regulation because food's gonna keep you awake. If you're still metabolizing your food when you're trying to go to sleep, your basal metabolic rate is gonna be higher because um, it's processing all that food. Um, same thing when you're working. If you're kind of in that work mode, really cognitively thinking, your mind is going to be wired, which is not going to help with that downregulation. And then obviously with technology, that's mm. just going to directly impact it because it's designed to hook you, addict you, and keep you alert. Well, again, dopamine is the, the biochemical of motivation and alertness. So if you're sitting there scrolling, getting the sort of the rewarding, the dopamine hits, it's like the complete villain to sleep like all of the biochemical elements the orchestra that's supposed to play scrolling and being on your phone or any kind of device that's giving you those hits is like mm. no wonder people can't sleep or if they do just collapse asleep because they're so exhausted it messes up their entire sleep cycle throughout the rest of the night yeah and then there's also the ems you can kind of go into as well you know they emit electromagnetic frequencies um, that are also extremely toxic and have been shown to inhibit deep sleep, which is in the early stages of night. So mm. um, if you're on your phone just before bed, or what often I hear is people falling asleep to their Netflix on their laptop, um, that is emitting EMFs, which is impacting your deep wave um, sleep. Yeah. So your delta wave it's sleep. It's not even that. Let's talk about oxytocin. Hmm. The reason why I say that is if you've got a partner or someone that you care about that's sleeping with you, like if you're not connecting with them in something as simple as the down regulation for sleep, you're missing out on so many opportunities to yep. connect on a deeper level, to have the physical interaction and engagement and that lovely oxytocin kind of release that helps you feel connected and messes with sex. Yep. And and that, that connection, which is a really important part of a healthy relationship. So when when I was talking to one of our couple cares we've, we've got a program that we can we can work with couples uh, one of one of the sets of couples I could not believe it so firstly the, the one of them just scrolls through their Instagram or TikTok feed the other one watches the news hmm. they spend 45 minutes watching the news <laughs> I'm just like, like alert 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 <laughs> I, you know, it, it's like danger danger will yeah. robinson right before you go to sleep and so i and these people are not silly people they're smart intellectual like they they they're they're not stupid 
And so it's, it's one of those things where I just think how much we live by default. We don't even think through the fact that we are fundamentally a biochemical broth that engages and interacts with our environment and also our decisions and that it negatively impacts and influences their life in ways that they just haven't even thought through. And so having the conversation with them and explaining to them what's actually going on biochemically, they're like, oh, didn't think about that. And, and, and here, herein lies what we're trying to do here is but educate. Again, we also got to keep in mind that the technologies are designed to addict to them and uh, pull pull people in, right? Like they are designed very intentionally in that way. So again, it's not the end user's fault. Like they they just need to be, you know, observer to their behaviors. And that's why I suppose we're trying to do this podcast is to kind of bring these things to attention to help people be that observer a little bit more. Um, yeah. And try to adult themselves. Because hmm. then I also reflect upon how hard it is consistently to try to educate our oh. nine and 12 year old. When, you know, again, we're, we're a biochemical broth that is, you know, delicately orchestrated uh, and, and largely coded by genetic environment interaction, uh, which again, we have influence on. But to try to educate the kids, which of course are just running under pure instinct and pure responsiveness without that observational gap, you can see why this technology is making this whole lack of, of, of general biological honoring of how bodies are supposed to work. And then all the incidences on mental health issues, anxiety, depression, significant weight gain because again if, if we've got this tech that's stopping just basic fundamentals happening when it comes to sleep then it has implications in all these areas yeah absolutely um so and i think that's in we're the furthest thing from technophobes <laughs> we yeah. base our business around technology right and i think it's just about understanding what technologies are serving you and then what technologies are not serving you mm. you know so it's really being able to be that observer, identify, is this serving me or is this draining me? Yeah. And a lot of it's just to give it a go. So we often say four to six weeks total, like give sleep a go and reflect upon how it's it's changing the the day-to-day -day functioning of your mind and body. All right, so we talked about the tailored 3-2-1 sleep principle. Uh, when it comes to the environment as well to make it more conducive to sleep, what are we looking at? Yeah, so it's it's about creating that sleep sanctuary, right? So it's the environment that just makes all decisions easy. Like if you want to get a good night's sleep consistently, got to really think through these things. So first thing and most importantly is black it out. So your room needs to be black. And I'm talking LED lights. So if you have, um, you know, a alarm clock to the side of you, go analog. Um, if you really want to have a clock beside you, get rid of that LED um, clock. Or, or turn it to, to face the... Yeah, but what's the point? Because the then when you look at it, you're going to look at LEDs. So like, um, go analog, you don't, you don't really need it. And also, ideally, getting the technology out of the room. So phones, if you can, get it out. This is a big challenge for most people. Um, and if it is going to stay in the room, get it on airplane mode. So get into a habit or set up your phone in a way that it automatically goes in airplane mode at whatever time your bedtime is. Well, the hour before your bedtime, obviously, because you're not going to be on it um, coming up to bedtime. Then it's just looking at the environment. So we want the environment to be a cool environment so your body can 
dump heat if needed. Um, so you can put on as many blankets as you need to keep yourself warm, but you want the ability to dump heat. <clears throat> so the ideal room temperature is that kind of 17 to 21 degrees. And in Fahrenheit, I believe that is 63 to 70 um, degrees Fahrenheit. So it's really important to have that health environment. So how, how do we dump heat? There is three areas in our body in which we can dump heat. So we cut the palms of our hand, um, the soles of the feet, and the kind of forehead. Now that kind of areas in which uh, the body can release heat. So this is why when you're getting hot, you might notice you kick a foot out or kick your hands out. Uh, this is a natural thing for your body to do because it knows it's going to be able to dump that heat and downregulate itself. Because um, to really fall asleep, we, our body needs to drop in temperature, our core body temperature, which is important. So we're not talking about our limbs, we're talking about our core body temperature. So we need to be able to dump heat from the core body temperature. Um, so chucking an ice pack on your neck is the worst thing you can do because it's going to cool you down locally, but it's your core could still be overheating. Um, so, you know, you can really get yourself into some strife because your body thinks it's cool when it's really not. Um, so in really hot environments, it's extremely dangerous to do such a thing. Is that why when you're sick, having a flannel on the top of your forehead is often a really great place to mm -hmm. help regulate or push out temp temperature? Exactly, yeah. Um, and, you know, it's part of the reason why when I have my uh, headaches with my concussion that I put that ice cap on, that gets pretty much focused on there um, to kind of really help cool that system down because that's, yeah, it's going to help drop the core body temperature. So it's, it's also a really good hack for getting to sleep quickly too. So uh, there's, <coughs> there's devices that we can go into, but yeah, simply put, you can just put like a cold flannel on the forehead, it's going to cool you down, or just making sure you have your feet or your hands outside of the um, blanket, especially in summertime, to kind of help them down-regulate and cool yourself down. Hence the importance of having a cooler environment so your body can regulate as required. Yep, so if it's a warm environment and... Um, <coughs> Yeah, you've got nowhere to cool down. You're just in a hot box, essentially. Mm. Um, so it's just about allowing that space to be able to get your hands out where it can get a bit cooler. You know, you, you generally want blankets on if it's 17 degrees because it's quite cool. Um, so yeah, that's why we keep it that cooler temperature. Got it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so having that, and again, these devices we can get to kind of really help manage and support that. Uh, but we'll talk about those later. I want to try and keep these very uh, kind of simple uh, and effective. Um, and free. And free, yeah. Free, um, free, free activities to try to improve your sleep. Exactly. What's interesting talking about sleep sanctuary is how many people have TVs in mm. their bedroom, yeah, that's great. which statistically and for, for research impacts your, your partner and your sex life mm. and your ability to connect. So it's quite interesting, this correlation between having this TV in the room and, and your connection with your, your spouse, but also sleep quality. Yeah, I can't remember the stats around the TV in the room, but it's actually really profound to how much that actually impacts your sex life. I think it's like 50%, like again, I'm not 100% on these numbers, but I believe it's like a 50% drop in sexual activity with your partner for having a TV in the room, just mm. simply having a TV in the room. Um, secondly, like, you know, that emits LED lights. It just shouldn't be in the room. The sleep sanctuary is designed for two S's, sleep and sex, like everything else out of the room. Um, I'm, hope, I'm hoping that a lot of partners out there will listen to this and think, right, if I just remove the TV from the back bracket and close up those holes, so it's like the TV is out, yeah. we could pretty much say that'll have direct impact, assuming you're playing your cards right, generally yeah. with your relationship, <laughs> with your sex life. <laughs> yeah, get the TV out. It shouldn't be in the bedroom. You should, like, you've got to make sure that your 
brain and body knows what to do when it hits that room. It is down regulation time. You should not be watching news. You should be not be watching movies. You do that downstairs. Make the environment an intentional environment that is a down regulation sleep and sex environment. And you look forward to. Oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah. Make, make it make it pretty. Make it beautiful. Make mm. it snugly and comfortable. Like yeah. if you don't want to go to your bedroom because you just hate it, then that's something that you probably need to address. Yeah, and it's something that we put a lot of time and effort into, you know, getting, you know, the beautiful shares that we like that block out all the, the light from the road and... Uh, having plants is also another great way. So, you know, this plant right here um, is known as the mother-in-law's tongue and it is a powerful ear detoxifier. So it actually works at nighttime to detoxify the ear. Um, so scattering your room with plants, um, Ivy is another good one. NASA released like the yeah. best detoxification plants list. Yeah. So you just Google NASA detoxification plants and you get a list of the variety of plants that they found most efficient at cleaning the ear. Yeah, and this is one of them. And the reason we have a lot of... Um, these mother-in-law's tongue um, is because it's easy to take care of. Yeah, I have a brown thumb. Yeah. It's not green. Yeah, we definitely don't have green <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to kill it. So, yeah, it's, pre it's pretty robust. Yeah, so we have a lot of these scattered around the house. Um, and, yeah, I, English IV is another one that's um, quite easy to take care of for the most part that helps out. Um, but, yeah, there's a whole list of them that you can look up. But, yeah, and it, it's just nice just to have mm. nature in your room. Because, um, yeah, it's going to first of all detoxify the air, it's going to help create negative ions. And then the other thing um, that, is, that helps create negative ions as well is keeping the window cracked. Always, all through winter, summer, keeping the window cracked. Um, obviously, depending on your space and the ambient noise, but the window, window being cracked is really powerful for creating that fresh air because you don't want to be in a damp environment. And if you close things off, and especially with, you know, if there's two of you in a room, the breathing and the respiration is going to create uh, dampness, which we don't want. So we want to make sure that, first of all, that dampness can get out because mold is extremely toxic. As we talked about in my first episode, you know, I've suffered of mold toxicity from that very reason. It was in my bedroom. Um, so, yeah, you want to make sure that's correct. But there's also really powerful benefits to having those negative ions because they charge the body up and help it um, recover a lot quicker. So... That's also really powerful, mm. um, and especially when you buy the ocean, because moving yeah. water, not yeah. only does it sound amazing, and, and rain for that fact, you know, they, they're actually emitting negative ions, and that's why being close to a waterfall or the ocean just feels so good. Mm. It's that negative ions charging you up, and that's what we get in uh, smaller doses, obviously, but with the windows cracked. Yeah. Um, just because you can't explain it or can't see it doesn't mean it's not there, and I think that's what's fascinating with some of the new research coming out, which we'd often termed as, you know, airy-fairy or woo-woo around negative ions, EMF, mm. um, you know, grounding, all that kind of stuff, which, again, that's used to be categorised in the, in the area of, your gypsies and, and people who, you know, were fluffy and you couldn't believe. I mean, there's so much new research that proves that all of these things, A, exist and B, have the same medicinal health qualities that, that they've been saying all along. Talk about total vindication and validation, <laughs> but, you know, unfortunately, like all vindication and validation, often it happens after the fact and much later, but thankfully research is coming um, to speed with some of these kind of more indigenous and or woo-woo kind of we can't explain it but it works type of um, concepts and topics. Yeah and I think that's the key thing between you know it's often seen as magic until science proves it right like it's you know it's magical <laughs> it <is. laughs> because just because we can't explain it doesn't mean it's magic. Mm. Um, there's often spirituality there's obviously a lot of clues in there 
um, to things that have worked for eons, but yet we, just because we can't explain it, it's not possible. So bizarre that in an age of information, we are so bereft of wisdom. And it's not until you look at some of the indigenous and or lineage of, of you know, shamans or, shamans or, or medicine people mm. that it's like, actually, there's a whole bunch of evidence that suggests they're spot on. And they have been for a really long time. We just stopped listening. Well, that's what I found interesting, just to kind of go on a little bit of a tangent, but we won't go too far down this rabbit hole. But in my, when I was in my master's on Hirsimeronaceus, which is lion's mane, the mushroom, um, I identified... There was a lot of research on it, and it's just been forgotten. You know, like mushrooms in particular, like were like you know, that's where penicillin comes from. Um, so it goes right back to Hippocrates, and yet, you know, now we just don't really eat them, let alone you know um, use them medicinally. But if you look to Eastern cultures like China, they actually prescribe it, um, and it's just in the Western culture we just it seems too simple. So it, or you know, there's not enough markup on it, so you can't charge for it or i don't know what it is but yeah, right through to um in china they do forest bathing they actually actually prescribe forest bathing so going out into the forest and being in nature which blows my mind and that's that's talking about even legal mushrooms mm. i'm so happy to see that there are um there are bodies of of medical associations and governments and states that are also starting to legalize the use of things like psilocybin and other natural medicinals that have psychedelic activity for things like PTSD or other clinical mental health condition treatments. Yeah. Because again, the, the world actually houses so much wisdom and magic within its its own flora and, yeah. and infrastructure and how it works. Yet again, we're so bereft of that wisdom. And I, I don't know where it went wrong, where, where that wisdom was cut and then, and then the traditional kind of industrial revolution and and science took over until it can ultimately catch up. Yeah. Yeah, and you look at about the things that we do have in society that are okay, right? So to bring it back to sleep is alcohol um, is a, a very commonly consumed toxin uh, that is extremely damaging and painful for our sleep. Like, yes. Uh, by having alcohol, your sleep latency will be improved. You will get to sleep quicker. Yeah, because a lot of people say, oh, when I have a glass yeah. of wine, I'm out. Yeah. Like that. Nightcap. You know? Yeah. Like the nightcap is known you know, as a powerful sleep aid because you get to sleep quicker. But what they don't know is because firstly, probably because they don't track their sleep, the sleep architecture is extremely disrupted. They're not getting the restorative sleep that they should be getting. And they'll often wake up a lot more frequently throughout the night because of that, because the liver's having to detoxify and um, do work that it shouldn't have to do at that point in time. Like um, it should be focusing on the regeneration of the thing, not removing toxins mm. from the system. Uh, so it's, it's also understanding that the impact, you know, yes, you can have a glass of wine or, you know, a beer every now and then, like, but just being aware of the impact that it actually has on your system. And, you know, there's something we see clearly we're tracking in one reason why I just don't drink very often. If I do drink, I'm very strategic around how I drink. Um, but it's just because I've seen the numbers and the data behind it. And, you know, it's just not worth it like, yeah. for the cost. Uh, and it, again, it's not until people have a, the ability to measure because we're not great at checking in on our bodies. So you brought up another, again, point of using tracking. So what we find most commonly uh, a barrier to entry for long-term 
health change is trying to replug people's brains back into their bodies and actually check in and see what's going on. And we find wearables to be a healthy conduit or augmentation to that where actually they've got some type of device uh, that actually gives them some numbers so they can see changes to their overall health metrics, even if it hasn't necessarily percolated up to their brain into really specific and, and obvious changes um, to their overall daily life. So one thing that's been powerful for our mums is getting them onto wearable devices because when we talk to them about sleep and what happens when they don't get sleep because your mom is good at working way too late and my mom is good at, she's so busy tidying up the house and fluffing about and doing what she loves to do, she ends up spending way too long watching TV before bed and then has problems with sleep. And so giving them devices that help them understand that has been powerful, specifically deep sleep. Hmm. Again, understanding that my mom has also APO E4 gene variant, which has implications to fat metabolism in her brain. But, but how has that been for you to help people better understand the importance of that deep sleep window as well as REM sleep on emotional reset? Yeah, so firstly, there is no sleep stage that is more important than the others. It's all about context, right? And what we're trying to achieve and maybe what is lacking, what is um, doing okay. So it's just about understanding that you know, they each have their part to play in the orchestra. And for example, we've kind of alluded to, I think in my episode, talking about the glymphatic system. So the glymphatic system is the garbage clearing system of the brain. It's how we clear out all the plaques and proteins, so the tau proteins and the beta amyloids, um, through the, the brain. Uh, and that's basically rubbish in the brain. Yeah, it's like rubbish. yeah it's just rubbish that clicks, which is... Um, very much associated with the Alzheimer's dementia, neurodegenerative diseases. So it's the same etiology as, you know, um, those neurodegenerative diseases. So obviously there's a, there's a pretty clear association there that we want to make sure we're supporting that system so that doesn't build up. Mm. And I want to make a distinction here where you've got your lymphatic system and then your glymphatic system. Mm. And the G in the glymphatic is a testament to the glial cells of the brain and so that is the essentially the the garbage collection the fluid filtering the the cleanup of the brain specifically yes exactly so where the lymphatic system works through the blood you know so that is the kind of the blood clearing system of the know, body of predominantly the body. Yes. yeah that works towards the heart where this is obviously clearing out from the brain and this only occurs in deep sleep so for example with your mum um if she is not getting that deep sleep, it's going to really directly impact her glymphatic system clearance. So hence why we're stressing the importance for her that she needs to get that deep delta wave sleep because that's what we're, the brain, brain state is a delta wave state, it's that slow wave state um, that we achieve. And that's in the front end of that night. So in the early hours, no, it's not early hours, but you know, the first part of your night of sleep is kind of when you start to fall into that deep sleep. Once you go through the stages, you go through each stage to and then to deep sleep. Um, and that is where the money is really spent for you. So like for those that are getting to bed after midnight, 1 a.m., for the most part, they're missing the majority of the deep sleep. Uh, the, the body will fight to kind of regulate it and try and get some deep sleep in, but you're not going to get the right amount of quantities that you really need. Um, and it'll probably be at the cost of your rim. So therefore everything kind of gets um, cascaded, cascaded and impacted. Mm. <clears throat> But yeah, so the deep is really important from 
just that restorative nature, that deep restoration. And then if you're not getting that, that's going to really play a part in days to come. And cognitive, so predominantly cognitive, cognitive yep. elements, um, higher brain thinking. Yep. If, you, if you think about your brain like a city, mm. metropolitan, where you've got your streets, every Tuesday our garbage truck comes. Same thing that happens every night for our 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 the, the the road network in our brains is that you've got to have that regular clearance. Otherwise, if we didn't have that regular clearance in our normal streets, we wouldn't be able to get our cars through. Which again has this exact same situation with our brains. If our brains aren't clear, then signals can't go through as well. Yes, exactly. Um, and for me, that's been extremely powerful because obviously with a uh, several head injuries now. I need to be very critical about that because, again, it's the, uh, often a very common thing is the beta amyloids and the tail protein buildup that is associated with that concussion and hence why I've had to really focus on my deep sleep. And in through tracking, I noticed in the early days of my concussions, my deep sleep just tanked, absolutely tanked. And so it's an important thing for people that have head injuries or know people that have head injuries to make sure that they are getting that sleep and prioritizing that deep sleep to kind of really entrain that. And there's a whole bunch of strategies we can go down the route to kind of pulling those different levers to help deep sleep, same with REM. And, um, but yes, that, that's deep sleep. And then REM is the other kind of deep restorative state, and that's REM for rapid eye movement sleep. And this is that dream wave sleep. This is in the early hours of the morning, you know, just before you kind of wake up, generally that 5 a.m. to kind of 6.30 time. Uh, it's the last cycle of REM, isn't it? Really? Yeah, that's like, yeah, it's when you get the majority of it. There'll be little scatters throughout, but the majority of it will be in that um, later hours of the morning. And th that was what, you know, we both sacrificed when, you know, you'd get up early to work and train. And um, I did much the same when I was going out to the swim, swim squad and, yeah, just or just getting up for work myself as well because oftentimes when I wasn't getting up for that I would just work because you know there's something beautiful about those early hours of the morning when nobody else is awake and can disrupt you you can just get so much done mm. um, and I, I, I do miss that but it's just about creating that elsewhere right so turning phones off and creating that non-disruptive environment elsewhere and still getting that sleep because what I learned is how critical that is mm. and from whether your goal is work or just relationships, or athletic. Um, REM is extremely important. Uh, so for the athletic, testosterone is released um, in the REM cycle of your sleep. So that is a really important part to build up the testosterone. So if you're not getting that, you're tanking testosterone. And as a male, that's extremely important for um, just your biological health, but also your sporting performance too. Um, a lot of... Um, Muscle adaptation. Muscle like adaptations that. and that occur in that time. So you need to get that. And the REM sleep for, from a mental health, emotional balance perspective, as we mentioned earlier, if you don't get that, then your, your glucose also decreases in there, which your body will go hunting for it in the morning mm. and throughout the day. Yep, no, absolutely. And so it's extremely critical from that standpoint. And yeah, just you just not going to be emotionally sound so you're going to be a lot more irritable a lot more frustrated uh you're cranky yeah yes, pretty much and so like it's very important that you're making sure that your kids your partner like for a happy family environment you want everybody to be getting that sleep and prioritizing mm -hmm. that sleep um so in our household it is like not just rem but like i said all stages are important so making sure we're prioritizing sleep so 
What we often hear is that people will wake up early hours of the morning or quite early and not be able to get back to sleep. One thing that I've appreciated from our journey together and better understanding the research is while my previous behavior would be just getting up because I'm, I'm, I'm awake and I'm, I'm wired but I'm tired but I can't get that back to sleep is traditionally I'd wake up, I'd read, I'd, I'd do something else, I'd turn on the light. I mean stupid things now when I, when I reflect back on it but uh, these days I take greater comfort and solace that even just keeping my eyes closed uh, focusing on my breathing, perhaps even starting a meditation, uh, that's still restorative rest, which is also key in helping your body prioritize those repair focuses, you know, focusing on, on its body um, and keeping the system calm. Yeah, and most importantly as well is retraining that circadian rhythm. So I remember early on with you, like I hope you don't mind me sharing this, but you know, you just wanted to get up. You know, you were just craving to get up. You were frustrated. It was uncomfortable for you because you just seemed like a waste of time. Well, it's and also just frustrating when you can't get back to sleep. And oh, then you start yeah. getting angry and yeah. like, for God's sake, I need sleep. Got something of this. But I can't, I can't sleep. So there's an emotional trigger. Yeah. But if you don't calm that stress response down, it's just a cascading effect where it's like, yeah. all right, I'm just going to get up. Yeah. So, and I think the, the key thing for you, which I think really solidified that was just knowing that closing your eyes is still restorative. So there's some great data around that just by closing your eyes, it's NSDR or non-sleep deep rest essentially is what you're kind of doing is you're still getting that restorative nature, but you're not, you're not technically asleep. You don't have to be unconscious to kind of get that restorative nature. So you can just think about it from a sensory deprivation standpoint, you're your eyes are closed, so therefore those senses are not being activated, um, so you can get that more restoration. So, yeah, I strive for everyone to make sure they're really consistent. This is what comes to the going to bed at the same time, waking up at the same time. You just stay in bed. You keep those eyes shut, um, mm -hmm. and you relax the system however you can. So whether that is meditation, breath work, um, yeah. We'll talk about apps later. We can talk about apps later, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. But it's about leveraging that time in bed mm. to really get the maximum. What's benefits. been super helpful for me is having an arsenal of meditative practices that I can pull from. That doesn't require me to log in and, and have a guided meditation. So even over the last three years of really prioritizing this, again, layering upon different things, giving yourself different tool um, toolkit elements that you can pull from is that, you know, different apps, like I love waking up app by Sam Harris, like, for an intellectual, I find that most powerful in calming my mind because he uses intellectual concepts and philosophy to kind of snafu my brain into meditative yeah. elements, which I just, I cannot yarn enough about that. But also other things that are through float tank therapy, through breath work, you know, through actually attending courses has given me all these different ways in which to practice meditative conditioning so when I do get up in the night or I can't sleep I can pull on those little programs that I've already got in that arsenal to actually try to calm the system and make it really restorative even more so without getting upset. Yep absolutely and you know it's going to take time and I think that's the frustrating thing and was for you I know like it took months to get to that point of like okay I mean, now you sleep until like 7 30 every morning. For the well, most part. For the most part like 7, 7.30, for the most part, you are pretty solid um, compared to, you know, the, the 3 a.m., 5 a.m., the, 
yeah, just wanting to get up now. The challenge you have for me, which is still hard to this day, is to stay in bed until 6.45. Well, no, you're pretty consistent with that though, now. Now, but I'm, sometimes I'm awake at 4.45, hmm. right? And then so I'll either work on meditative practices, we might both kind of be a little bit restless and then cuddle and then, you know, me being your big teddy bear is you just fall asleep quite nicely. And I can, I listen to your breathing. There's quite a meditative practice in that. And so oftentimes I'm in this kind of non-sleep relaxation state, but sometimes, you know, cuddling you so I get some good oxytocin release. Sometimes just, again, doing breathwork practices by myself until that 6.45 place. Mm. Now, more often than not than the last three years, I do sleep until like 7.15, like as in I'm doing that way more than I ever used to. So, but just honing that practice and being disciplined in the way that I'm honoring sleep as, a, as an efficient way to spend my time, that mindset shift has changed the dials for me. Yeah, 100%. And you're seeing it in your day-to-day -day life. Yeah. I know I'm definitely seeing it. So yeah. it's, um, yeah. Yeah, cool. And so the last thing I want to talk about is there's been a variety of technology elements we've brought into our sleep practices. We're not going to go into too much detail right now, but um, I was wondering where we just we just list what we're doing. So maybe talk about where we're at to kind of after three years of nurturing really amazing sleep hygiene and habits. What do we do to kind of take it to the next level? And we'll probably double tap into that in another episode around tools, techniques, hacks, technologies that, that help us get to that next level of sleep okay. efficiency. So, yeah, I guess the first place to start, um, and not necessarily technology, but I want to take a step. Well, it can be technology, but it can also just be uh, free as well, uh, but we'll go back to the morning because again, I said that morning is so critical for that evening routine So, you know waking up good things you can do and it's about stacking these things, right? So obviously we've talked about getting sun exposure that is extremely important But getting movement as well is also something that's going to trigger that um, Circadian rhythm so we want to make sure we're getting movement early in the day and that doesn't have to be high intensity exercise It can be just going for a walk um, getting grounding uh, again getting outside, getting your feet into the ground. Uh, we talk about the negative ions that come through the window. It's much the same from the ground, but make sure we're on natural earth. Um, again, that can be done another way. Since we're talking about technology now, I can start layering the other things. I have like a grounding mat. Um, so a mat that I plug into the earth and the wall uh, that emits those negative ions. Um, so you can do that while working as well. So you can figure out ways in which you can start to stack these things. Um, and then another great way to kind of wake yourself up in the morning is getting that kind of dopamine kick through cold immersion. So for us, it's like a cold shower or an ice bath. Um, yeah, these are another great ways of just kind of waking that body up. Um, and then coffee. Like you can see our coffee cups here. Uh, we're big coffee fans, but it's about the timing of that coffee um, because it is a technology, right? It is something that we have crafted. Depending how you define technology, I define technology is something that we have created, right? And coffee is an amazing technology that I absolutely love, but I'm very particular about how I use it. So I don't want to impact my circadian rhythm. I want to allow my, um, we'll probably cover this another time, but the adenosine to kind of build up, which is that kind of sleep debt. I don't want to just tap it out straight away by having a coffee as soon as I wake up. So we try not to have our coffee until 90 minutes after waking. Um, and for us, we only have one coffee a day. Um, 
where some people might have better caffeine sensitivity, they might be able to handle a little bit more, but nobody should really be having caffeine beyond 12 p.m. because regardless if you tell me if you can have a coffee 9 p.m. and go straight to sleep, I can guarantee, yes, you may be getting to sleep, but your sleep architecture is not as good as it should mm. be. It's much like the alcohol. It's impacting your sleep architecture, so therefore you're not getting that restorative sleep as much as you should. Well, caffeine half-life is eight hours. Exactly. Depending on your metabolism, yeah. six to eight hours. So if you have two cups of coffee in the morning, then effectively eight hours later you, you have still one cup of coffee in your blood. Mm. So that's still running around, and then eight hours later, then that's half of that in your blood, so 50 milligrams You know, once you start to kind of cut it down. So you still have caffeine running around in your blood regardless of what you think is happening. Yep. Um, and so this is where having kind of a cutoff around 12, we've found quite powerful for not only ourselves but also our clients. And again, giving it a go. See what happens to how you feel after a number of weeks. Yeah, and you can obviously dive into genetics to identify you know, caffeine sensitivity because we can, that can be seen through genetics. Um, and then it's, you know, food's another way in which we can trigger the circadian rhythm as well. So whether you're doing intermittent fasting, whether you're not, um, you can use food to kind of trigger that circadian rhythm. Uh, so by having a meal, it doesn't have to be big again, it can be just, you know, some avocado on toast or um, whatever that may be, that's going to help trigger that circadian rhythm as well. So these are the kind of tools and techniques you can do in the morning and you kind of create a stack like we have and maybe at one point we will um, kind of walk people through what we do in our morning routine because a lot of it is based around sleep. Um, other things are for performance. Um, but we have done a video in the past that maybe we could um, put in the show notes yep. um, of a what we we're doing last year at least. Uh, we'd probably need to do a new one in a new house. But... Um, it's yeah. taken years to stack on. Oh, yeah. So I think what's really clear it's the, one thing, right? it's the one thing. So one thing we've stacked on and then we've stacked yeah. on another one thing after we've created the habit. And so it's that habit stacking that's created the outcome. What we often see on the on the airbrush show reel of social media is that people show the outcome of, mm. of months and months and months of their work. Yeah. You don't see all the back end behind the scenes where it's like, actually, I only started with one thing or I only started with one minute of meditation or I only did one tree pose and now they can do way more yoga poses and, you know, mm. months, months later. So that's the trick is that stacking what we've amounted to over the last few years. And yeah, then like as we kind of work our way through the day, so... As the sun starts to go down, you want to get that sun exposure again. So yes, first thing in the morning is probably the most critical, but then the second most critical is as that sun starts to go down. So get yourself outside. Um, it's quite interesting. You'll see that pets will naturally do this. First thing with the morning, and then as the sun starts to go down, they will hunt out the sun. But yet, we have to be told to do it. Because, mm. <laughs> because we just completely get distracted, and we're just not as in tune as we should be because we're just so disconnected. From our bodies um, but you want to seek out the sun in that afternoon uh, evening time as it starts to go down obviously it depends on the time of year but um, yeah so that's the next critical thing then we've got the three two one sleep principle of course we've discussed that um, but then come into more technology so now i can start to really can lean into a bit more of the technologies obviously there has been some technology spoken about but things that we've found extremely powerful is tracking devices first and foremost uh, so we've got We've tried all the sleep trackers on the market. So right now I'm wearing um, an Aura as we talked about. I've got a Whoop, which is probably the um, biggest competitor to Aura. Uh, we haven't had the Whoop for as long as we have had the Aura, um, but you'll find that the Whoop is provides very similar metrics, presents it a little bit differently. It's a bit more designed towards the athlete. Um, so instead of a readiness score, it gives a strain score. 
um, but it's still a really powerful device and very similar to the Aura. So it's a bit of a preference thing around that for a lot of people. Um, and then I got the if, uh, Withings uh, smartwatch here. So it's the scan watch. Again, I got Apple Watch. And you got the Apple Watch. Um, we also have the Withings sleep mat as well. So it kind of works in the same ecosystem. Tried the BioStrap. Got tried the BioStrap. We've obviously done the Dream 3, which is the EEG device. And probably one of our favorite kind of go-to devices would be the SleepMe Doc Pro, mm. uh, which is a temperature-controlled um, mattress protector that has channels, well, it's, sorry, it's a mesh-like. So our previous Ula, Ula. Ula was, um, had channels down it, uh, but the more recent device, the Sleep Doc Pro, has a mesh device, so it spreads out the water a lot cooler, a lot, yeah. lot more dispersed. and um, it allows temperature control, so you can yeah. either cool or heat this yeah. mattress pad. There are a variety on the market these days, but I'd say yeah. the leaders would probably be either Sleep Me with their dot pro yep. and then also eight sleep yep eight sleep yeah so they're kind of two kind of leaders and uh yeah it's an amazing device and much like i talked about earlier with the kind of temperature regulations being such a critical thing because our body needs to drop down in temperature before we go to bed you know that is vital um it needs to drop a couple of degrees before we can attain that deep delta wave sleep so yeah that's been a very critical device for us um and that down regulation, but also the architecture throughout the night. So we've actually scheduled ours in certain temperatures to kind of achieve certain things, and that obviously changes throughout the year. But there's also other things you can do in the way of temperature regulation if you don't not as lucky to have a device like that because they're not cheap. Uh, so, for example, we, I mentioned we want to reduce our temperature. Unlike in the morning, where we want to have cold immersion. In the evening, we want to get us uh, heat exposure. So we either want to go in a sauna or a hot shower or a bath, or a hot tub, or a spa. Um, so getting some heat exposure is actually the best thing you can do to cool your body down, believe it or not. Because what that's gonna do is it's gonna create the blood to rush to your peripherals, which is gonna cause your core body temperature to drop. Mm. Um, so again, it's not doing a long sauna session or a long um, hot tub session. You know, 20 minutes, you don't wanna go beyond that point. It'll be enough to kind of raise that temperature bring that blood out to the peripheral and allow you to dump heat. Uh, so therefore the core body temperature is cooler. So every night for us, we have a spa um, and that's how we kind of downregulate our, our core body temperature to help us attain that deeper delta wave sleep and that a little bit quicker. We do a lot of blue light blocking devices or, or technology that we've purchased that, um, you know, we've actually done the tests with the, the spectral anal analyzer to see whether or not the blue light is in fact blocked because you can buy things from very very cheap places or you know notoriously cheap places and they do not do the same thing so uh, it's really important to get a reputable mm. blue light blocking device whether it be um, actual a some glasses or whether or not you're looking at a, a book reading like some great ones out there or led or you know replaceable bulbs that are actually helping to keep your place and space lit and so you can see but then reducing the 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 blue light that would otherwise be tricking your body into thinking that's daylight yeah so yeah it's another simple way in which you can do it is just removing the light from the environment as much as possible and where you can replacing it with that red or amber kind of colored light um it's going to be extremely powerful but if you are going to be looking at a device you know for example maybe you're watching tv obviously you won't be watching tv in that last hour before bed but if you're watching tv it's winter, the sun's gone down, 
you want to try and stay in tune with the circadian rhythm, you can put the blue blocking glasses on, um, or you might be looking at your laptop for something. Um, obviously, you're not working within that two-hour window, though. Mm. <laughs> um, but you can use these devices to help stop you from getting that light exposure. Or, for example, like in many times when I've had to go to the airport early hours in the morning, I'll make sure I've got my blue blocking glasses on, so I'm making sure I'm maintaining that circadian rhythm, so I'm not teaching the body that this is an okay time to be awake, so I'm keeping my coffee out, I'm wearing my blue blockers, I'm not having any food, I'm trying to ensure my body knows that this is still my sleep time mm. as much as I can. Yeah, um, it's almost like, I mean, that whole alligator brain. Yeah. Right? At the end of the day, trying to give it very clear boundaries around what is and is not the time to do certain things that is within your control, mm. that's actually quite critical yeah yeah to absolutely. retrain that allegory that cro the crocodile brain yeah yeah absolutely yeah. so yeah we have a whole bunch of technologies that we use to kind of block that light out because again that's so critical and beyond that you know like i said before it's like blocking all the led lights if you have any technology in your room that needs to be blocked so anytime we go to a hotel i carry around my blue tech which <laughs> uh and I just go and block everything out and unplug anything that I can. So if there's a TV in the room, I'm unplugging that. If there's mm. a um, yeah, smoke alarm, the notorious, always just above your bed. And, go on, just and the blinking. blinking light. I'm like, no. <laughs> so I the blue tack on that, block that out. Um, so it's the just, cleaners must arrive after we've yeah. been when we forget to take it off and think, what are these people doing? <laughs> Uh, yeah. So I remember when we had open homes and before we sold our house yesterday, because yeah, yeah. you like to put blue tack all around. We've got, and we had an alarm panel in there, which of course just was so we, oh, it's so stupid cool. that you couldn't control or turn off the backlight. Oh, but it would just sit there and you covered that thing with so much so blue tack. And every time we had an open home, <laughs> the times we forgot the realtor had to yeah. explain what was going on with this blue tack, like putty filled kind of. <laughs> alarm panel which it was always fun to explain but yeah yeah uh, i love uh, your commitment to this like uh, it is absolutely. next level your commitment to yeah. this which i do enjoy because at the end of the day you keep me absolutely accountable which is where it kind of comes to where the rubber meets the road until you start to learn some of this information until you start to see quantified data about why it's also important or the shifts Sometimes it can be a hard pill to swallow within your partnership because people have got their habits. Um, oftentimes we see one, one of the people within a partnership really wanting to lean in because they're like, I'm sick of feeling this way. I'm sick of being overweight, tired, stressed, um, and whatever it might be. And so they start to implement some of these changes. But of course, if your partner doesn't care about getting sleep because they don't understand it and so you might go to bed at 9:45, but they're still up watching tv until one o'clock they come in and disturb you that creates tension and so yeah. we totally get that this needs to be a team effort because while it's wonderful that we have this podcast and we're trying to educate people it's quite another thing to get people to do it particularly in a partnership and so i guess the key thing here is the technology or the devices help you quantify what's going on. Um, and also give you language in which to yes. discuss with your partner. Yep. Uh, also, sometimes genetics. Like when we've, we've had when one person within a couple has had their genetics run and we've found some interesting information around inflammation or, you know, fat metabolism where it's, you know, the, their sleep can impact how that gene has been expressed. That can also be a really powerful way to explain it to a partner too. And hormones. So and doing, hormones, doing yep. Dutch Plus test where you can identify 
um, you know, through testing urine, we can identify, or urine and saliva, sorry, for this one, because we're looking at the cortisol awakening response. So we mm. talk about cortisol and melatonin. This actually tests that so we can identify, do you have um, cortisol waking up in the morning and when is that happening? Mm. And we can actually see that flow throughout the day. Um, yep. So we can understand, is that cycle working for you or is it not working for you? Mm. Um, so for those that are chronically stressed and may have a, hormonal issues, we can you know do hormonal testing for that. Yeah, and so I, I think it's these diagnostics and this type of metric, again, that replugs the brain into the body and gives people aha moments, but also within partnerships where maybe it's hard to get your partner to kind of make some of these changes. Um, when we have them join the, the client in meetings and actually share some of this information and get them their aha moments, it can create a more powerful team effort around making sure that sleep is a priority for, for the actual the family unit or the couple mm -hmm. unit. And so totally get that that can be a hard slog, but is, to is completely worth fighting for. And there's ways that we can improve the knowledge by podcasts like this um, and also the, the in-clinic education and the, the clinical diagnostics that we do. Yeah, and the beautiful thing is now to really understand your sleep, you don't need to go to a sleep lab. You know, there's so many technologies that we can now use in home that are a lot less invasive and you get to be in your own environment, mm. which is the most accurate way to track sleep, you know, like in my opinion. Unless you've got sleep acne and we need to kind of get you hooked up to machines, that's a little bit harder. Although we still can use at-home devices for that. So, for example, the Dream 3, the EEG device that's been used for um, sleep apnea. So, but again, these devices are not cheap um, mm. or easily accessible. Um, so, yeah, the cool thing is technology is really helping us unlock mm. this hidden or misunderstood secret source to health and performance. Yeah. Um, like, uh, the more we can prioritize our sleep mm. the better society in the world is going to be yeah. and i can't wait until this whole paradigm where you almost get a badge mm. of honor for sleepless nights or burning the candle at both ends or oh my gosh the number of times i see these these leaders talking about waking up really early in the morning and getting things done unless you have the genetic variant that is so rare in the population when you round it up it's zero, like, <laughs> yeah. unless you will round it down. Right, so when you round it to the population. Like, okay, sorry. It's expressed as zero percent. Okay, got it, sorry. Because it's so, it's so ah. low, once you round it to the population size is expressed as zero. Okay, got it, thank you. Thanks for clarifying that. But the, the point being is that genetic variant that means you can get away with less sleep is so rare hmm. that the likelihood that you are one of those people is next to zero. Yeah. Yeah, so that's DEC2 if anyone's interested. Yeah, um, I think there's DEC1 too, and then there's yeah. clock. There's lots of clock genes, yeah. but again, again oh, it's just such an interesting leads. area. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like in a, a thing that I think it frustrates me is it's not just in the kind of the lead, leader space, it's also the athletic space as well. You know, mm. you've got to be up in the early hours of the morning training and... You know, I understand the workday kind of forces you to, to do some behaviours to kind of fit things in, especially if you work a classic nine to five, but... If you look at the top elite athletes, they prioritize their sleep. Mm. And it's quite phenomenal to see because the harder you work, the more sleep you require as well. So, you know, like I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but, you know, like the Michael Phelps, um, the LeBron James, they, they, they prioritize their sleep. They're getting like 11 hours sleep a night, um, somewhere They're around that range. Hard. Yeah, because 
their body requires it because you can't work that hard and not expect that your body needs to bounce back from that. And that's what's given LeBron James the longevity to be in the game for like 20 years and at the top of his game um, still, which is at 37 years old, one of the oldest in the league. Like, it's, yeah. It's remarkable though. Like, and again, once you know, you can't unknow. So, and, and the beauty of this is there is more sleep science that's coming out to the mainstream that is starting to give people those aha moments. Um, and so one thing that I am grateful that you've given me is a better understanding and respect for sleep and how it is one of the most powerful levers to not only succeed in life, but in any other type of endeavor you want, whether it be in relationships, whether you want it to be in work, um, and, and so that has been, as you mentioned, a force multiplier in being able to, to do all the things that I want to do with a life with design rather than by default. Yeah, absolutely. And to put it simply, you can think about your wake time as brain damage and your sleep time as brain recovery. So without that recovery, you're just slowly declining. Mm. so it's to really simply put it you, you need to sleep to bounce back and grow stronger yeah um it's just like any kind of athlete you can't train 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 and not recover because mm. if you don't recover you're not going to get better you're going to get injuries yeah. and when you consider today's day you know day and age where you've got information coming at you left right and center the the cognitive load is so much higher than our ancestors mm. that had far more two-dimensional elements to information coming at them. We've got three-dimensional, four-dimensional, mm. just constant chatter. And so, again, if you consider the sheer number of neur neurons firing to manage all this information, we can't afford to not have as much sleep. Yeah. Now, we're plugged into the whole world. Mm. If there's a disaster happening in Turkey, we know about it. If there's a disaster happening in America, we know about it. And all of a sudden, it's this crisis after crisis that our bodies are not designed to deal with that much kind of stress and load um, plus everything else that mm. gets thrown on top of that and all the marketing and people trying to sell. and so the, yeah, The, the clickbait and the drama and the drama cycles yeah. that we, we unfortunately step into every single day of our lives. Yeah. So we have to intentionally step out yeah. wherever possible. Yeah. All right. I'm looking forward to double tapping more into some of our tech, but at the same time, what I love about this is that you've given really affordable, if not completely free ways to improve your overall sleep hygiene and your ability to sleep. There are nuances to all of this, which of course we work with case by case basis at Tailored Tech and Tailored Health um, from a clinic perspective. Um, but I'm I hopefully, if we were to, again, lean into the informal title of this podcast, what we wish our loved ones understood and did, the bottom line is look at sleep more as an actual friend and a way to create a life by design more than a, a, a nuisance that um, you have to do by default. Yep, prioritize it. It's our number one. We hope you enjoyed this episode. As our podcast progresses, we'll keep digging deeper into powerful themes of health and wellness, including client case studies and how we've used advanced science and not so common sense to help them live a life more extraordinary. If you feel this information has been helpful, please like, share, follow and subscribe to get notified of new episode drops and to support our mission to make the path to vibrant well-being less lonely and confusing.